You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. South Africa is listed as the fourth largest illegal cannabis exporter in the world, according to Interpol. And if the country can get it together, they have the potential to supply the world with high quality cannabis in a legal marketplace and save its crumbling economy. Helping the country get in the game is Trenton Birch, a former music and advertising executive who, aside from Oaksterdam, has started one of the first full-on cannabis academies called Chiba Africa. Trenton talks about the challenges and opportunities to make Chiba Africa Academy a world leader in cannabis education. Let's meet Trenton. How are you doing? How are you? I know it's late over there. Yeah, it's half past eight, but it's all good. I'm a late worker. Yeah, so anyway, great to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Where, where are you? Are you based in New York? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah I'm in New York City, yeah. Whereabouts? Uh, I'm in Lower Manhattan. Okay, nice. I lived in London for nine years, but uh, I did spend quite a bit of time over in New York working for a London agency. Yeah, so I got to know New York quite well. When's the last time you were here? Just wondering how much it's changed since you've been. Twelve years ago, maybe. Probably not too, not, not too huge of a change. Yeah. No, it's a great city. Yeah, it's a great city. It really is. Uh, but we're we're all excited here because we're you know just uh, gearing up to become legal. This whole area. So, yeah. um, so it's a big yeah. deal right I see now. They, I see they raided a, 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 a cannabis lounge yesterday, I think. Yeah, well, there's, there, it's, a little, it's a little out of control right now. Um, everybody's just basically popping up their little tables and, <laughs> yeah, sure. and selling on the street everywhere. It's, really? Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Hard tables. Obviously, really? Obviously, that's illegal, yeah? Oh yeah, I mean the yeah, the, yeah. the licenses aren't even out yet. They're they're yeah, just yeah. close for the cultivators. The cultivators are out. They're in. Their plants okay. are in the ground for a couple yeah. months. We're we're expected okay. to open retail by the end of the year, but that's pretty tricky because the cultivators won't be harvesting until October. Then we have to manufacture, get some product out there, get the stores open. Yeah. It's a little tricky right now, so. I don't think there's any market in the world that it hasn't been complicated, to be honest. I keep having to remind myself that uh, these are exciting times, even though they can be very frustrating at times, you know. Yeah. We are living through a revolution, and in five, ten years' time, people who come into the industry will never have experienced this, uh, even though it has its uh, challenges, you know, because it's a long game, you know. There's no, there's this green rush or this gold rush, however you want to phrase it, it's all smoke and mirrors, really. Yes, people are going to make money in this industry eventually, but it's a long game, you know. Kind of got excited uh, to talk to you because South Africa just keeps popping up every time I talk to someone, you know, about what's going on across the globe. So I guess, can we just start with like, just for all of the listeners um, who probably don't know, like, what is the status of the legal market in South Africa? So essentially, when it all kind of started to open up was in 2018. There was a big court case uh, and um, essentially we were granted the permission to consume and grow cannabis at home for personal consumption. 
So you're not allowed to trade. Um, so there is no tradable THC market here um, on, a, on, a, on a recreational level anyway, or adult use level, if you prefer to call it. Um, but uh, since then, very little has actually happened. So it's been a very frustrating few years. Um, there have been uh, tabled, updated bills put on the, um, on, out into the marketplace for, for public uh, and industry um, feedback. Um, we've, we've pretty much rejected any changes that have come out because the, the bill we see is ex exclusionary, um, uh, to, which in, in our country to a large degree may, means that it's actually quite, quite racist. Um, and there are just things within the bill which are, are not constitutionally sound at all. So at the moment that is, has gone back into, um, uh, into the workshop and we're expecting to have an answer or an update sometime this month. So essentially you've got the um, you know, the private purposes bill, which covers uh, the consumption uh, and, and growing at home. So the home grown market is kind of taken off uh, and a lot of people are growing cannabis at home. Um, and then we have a legal framework around medicinal cannabis. Uh, so medicine in this country is uh, regulated by a body called SAPRA. Uh, and you can apply for a medical license through SAPRA. And that allows you to grow medical cannabis, but only for export. So you have to have an export license um, in order to, uh, an export, uh, sorry, an offtake agreement in order to get your license. Um, you can now distribute some products uh, to local patients um, via what's called the Section 21. So um, very much like the medical cards that uh, they had in America for many, many years. So, you know, you have to go to a doctor, they, 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 they write a recommendation, you fill out a particular form that goes into SAFRA, uh, and then you can purchase cannabis that is locally produced. Um, it's a bit of a cumbersome, slow process, but it is an entry point, and you can essentially get cannabis from some of our biggest chemists here delivered to your door. Um, in terms of recreational or as responsible adult use, the only way to purchase cannabis at the moment is through what we, uh, well, what is internationally the cannabis club model, um, similar to the Spanish model, where you can join a nonprofit. And this nonprofit has uh, cultivating members within the nonprofit. Uh, and then these cultivating members can grow for you on your behalf. And then when you transact um, that cash for the cannabis, you are essentially paying for the growing services uh, at what we call a sharing station. So uh, again, you cannot profit from cannabis, but you can run it in a nonprofit company. Um, that is also uh, in the balance at the moment because one of the clubs was uh, arrested, uh, raided and arrested about a year and a half half ago uh, that was back in court a few months ago and um, we're waiting for an outcome it can be anything from any day now to two three four months um, that will that will that so, so the club thing is hanging in the balance a bit we feel quite positive that um, that it will have a, a positive outcome um, and there is talk of commercializing um, for responsible adult use in the private purposes bill which was just sandwiched in there like a little section with no explanation or anything. So it really is all over the place at the moment, you know, um, but we are pushing forward. I mean, the government have been incredibly slow up until recently where they uh, recently employed um, somebody full-time in, in, in uh, a consultant who's being paid by government to try and pull this all together and be the sort of go-between between, between governments and, um, and the cannabis industry. So, uh, you know, we, we've trained uh, 15 government officials. We're about to train a whole lot more. So there is, a, there is definitely an overt understanding that this needs to come online. I mean, 
Our president has mentioned it twice in two annual speeches. Um, but again, it's just it's just super slow and, and very frustrating. Right, as, as it is everywhere, right. Well, that's a pretty good start that you're educating the government officials because that's that's a huge hurdle to get over just to get them to even understand it. Yeah, and the fact that they're actually paying us money to teach them about it was quite mind-blowing. <laughs> you know? yeah. We're actually teaching the government about weed, you know. That was quite, uh, quite, quite a crazy experience. And we've actually just, it looks like we've just signed another, another deal to do another, another round with another bunch of government officials. So they're taking it very seriously. I mean, the thing is, is you know, the, the, you know our economy is in, is in big trouble the moment you know COVID has hit us really badly oh. we don't have the, the resilience of some of the developing economies um so things are tough for us at the moment you know we're, we're coming off the you know we, we've we had 10 years of, of extreme corrupt uh, government um we're still trying to recover from that so we we need sunrise industries urgently on this in this country right now so governments have acknowledged that this is a sunrise industry that can have a seismic impact on the economy and job creation um, but the problem at the moment is, you know, we have a global reputation for cannabis already. You know, Interpol um, say that we're the fourth largest exporter in the world. Um, you know, so we've been exporting tons and tons for, for decades. Um, if you look at uh, Girl Scout cookies, uh, I think it's 40 or 50%, I forget the exact amount um, of that uh, um, genetic profile is actually made up from a, a, a strain called Durban poison, uh, which comes from, uh, from here. If you walk into any coffee shop in Amsterdam, Durban poison is always on the menu. Um, so we have a legacy for cannabis. Uh, the problem at the moment, we have this contrast where we have wealthy people who can afford to bring these expensive farms online that are actually legal. And then we have all of these rural farmers that have been growing cannabis illegally for decades and decades, who are literally using the money to put their kids through school and put food on the table, who are, are still illegal and still criminals. Who, uh, who are now having a, a problem because there's an oversupply of cannabis with, um, with the cannabis clubs, with people growing at home, and with our registered uh, medical farms pushing stuff out the back door, much as you said uh, has happened in the States. Um, so these guys now are sitting with an oversupply and not able to feed their kids, essentially. So it's a very complex uh, situation and very unique to, to South Africa. That was the next question is, is it tribal, all the, where all the weed is coming from in there? Yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say essentially tri tribal per se, but it is a certain uh, populace uh, living in, in predominantly two regions. One is Pondo land, which is in the Eastern Cape. Uh, and then to the east of that is um, the KwaZulu-Natal area. So those are the two predominant areas of where cannabis is being grown illegally, um, but literally has, has been shipped by the tons for, for decades, you know. Um, so, so those population groups who are mainly subsistence rural farmers uh, now are now struggling, you know, um, and, and there has been no, there has been lots of talk about how we bring them into the, into the matrix, how we, how we, how we but, but absolutely nothing has been done. And, uh, you know, which is a, which is a travesty. I, I always say to people when I do a SWOT analysis on our industry, that the Eastern Cape farmers is a threat. And people ask me, well, are they the threat? I'm like, no, they're not the threat. The threat is if we don't deal with them in a constructive and inclusive way, that we, that we essentially will put a, a scar across our industry. So I, I think it's appalling the way the government have dealt with that. You know, if, if they would have, you know, all the other stuff and the big expensive farms and the recreational adult use and, you know, yes, it's taken too long, but, but we, can, we can live with that. But when, but when the fundamental principles of how we're trying to roll this out are actually making people suffer, 
because of inefficiencies and because of bumbling and just not making decisions. I think it's a disgrace. So we are quite annoyed that our government, you know, if, if they'd have just dealt with those people and those people would have been allowed to grow legally, I think there'd have been a lot more a sigh of relief. And, okay, at least we've dealt with the people that needed dealing with, you know. But the fact that they haven't been dealt with, you know, all, all these years later is, is a travesty. Um, but, you know, we are trying to sort it out. Uh, well, what they're doing, I don't know if you followed, but in New York State, we're trying to learn from California and the Western states on how they've messed that up as well. But I, I know there's been a, quite a, a big push to, to, to get equality, you know, yeah. because it was m m the majority of, um, of sort of people of color that have been incarcerated um, because of cannabis. So I know there's a balance in that. And um, so at least, at least there, there seems to be an effort towards that, what I think is extremely important, you know. Yeah. But, you know, the reality is that South Africa is a very political country and cannabis is very political. So yeah. any country that, you know, you don't, get, you don't get the same kind of dynamics that you do in Europe. You know, if you look at South America and somewhere like Mexico, exactly the same. You know, uh, there, are, there are cultural and racial dynamics in those countries and, and, and in your country uh, like they are here, you know. Uh, and it's, and it's, what, it's, what's, it's what gives us strength. But, um, but, but it needs to be dealt with for, for, for order for it to become a strength, you know? So you're saying that these people who have been there for a long time selling off of their land are not getting licenses, but these other- Well, the people that have, the people that have been selling cannabis, that have been, have been growing cannabis for many years, yeah, uh, they have no licenses, nothing. But they've been given to someone else because they have money. Is that kind of yeah, what- yeah. Completely. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it's completely absurd, you know, but it is as simple as that, you know. Okay. And this is because at the moment, the only, the only way to grow cannabis legally um, uh, is, is through the, is through SOPRA. So, so you can grow medicinal cannabis. And originally, when cannabis started to come online, um, SOPRA were the regulatory body for medical cannabis. But because they were the only body that were given any remit around cannabis, nobody had anywhere else to go to. So they, they, they put their hands up. And the problem with SAPRA is it is a public-private partnership. Um, and the private part of that partnership is, is funded and backed by the pharmaceutical industry, oh. who clearly have uh, no, no, no interest in bringing this online, or at least if it does, they want to do it at their own pace. Um, so there, there's, there, there's corruption. Um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of war stories that we hear. But it, but it, 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 is, it, it is being dealt with. And, you know, we are, the bottom line is we are moving forward. I mean, when... when when we got the private purposes bill in, in 2018, I had a number of internationals say to me, wow, you guys are lucky. This is actually really progressive. You know, we're sitting here in Europe and we have nothing like this. Um, and we had to take stock and go, that's actually very true. So it's not, um, uh, it's not out of the government's reach to make a very quick decision to literally bring this online. But our concern as an industry is that, you know, we, we, I, I, I often say to, to, to the American industry and the European industry, you know, you guys need cannabis for medicine and because you want to get high. Yeah, we need it for those two reasons, but we also need it because we need to eat. You know, we need to put food on the table. This is a, this is a, a valuable crop that we need to capitalize on. So the longer it takes, the, but, but to, to truly embrace that and to truly make it into a, a massive industry, we first of all need a local industry where we can trade and sell locally but we have to push our market externally. So we have that, that, uh, that, that, that reputation already, but we are losing the opportunity to capitalize on that because we are so sluggish. Other countries are coming on board, like you know, Thailand and, and obviously the whole of South America, who put up their hands and say the same thing we do. You know, we have cheap labor, we have lots of sun. I mean, the difference with us and someone like Thailand is Thailand has never really grown cannabis. 
you know, so they don't have that legacy knowledge that we do. But I said, but they will catch up and they will learn, you know. And the genetics and all the seeds that they've been, you know, perfecting. Completely. Yeah, land race strains, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, so there's certainly a, a frustration because we know it can have a seismic impact on our economy. Um, but the longer it takes, the, 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 the less sort of opportunity to market share we have, you know. That's, yeah, we're hoping. So, I, yeah, so I wanted to hear about your Chiba Africa uh, educational program. Um, yeah. Really heard about anyone doing what you're doing uh, to, on that level. Um, and I just wanted to hear how you how you started that just coming from the music business. Where did that hatch and how did you get people together and get going? Yeah, I mean, I mean, as you mentioned, I, I come from the music industry, spent my whole life in the music industry in some way or another. And cannabis and music have always been quite close friends. Um, I've been a user since I was very young, too, too young, but we won't go yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and it's always been part of my life. You know, for many years, I didn't realize why I, 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 it's a. Uh, you know, I used it a lot for creativity in the music industry, um, but I realized very early on that it was helping me cope with things, you know, from, an, you know, whether it's stress, anxiety, changing perspective, etc. Um, and um, I, 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 I got into edibles at one point and realized I'm not, I, I don't really like smoking. It's not something I've really ever enjoyed. I did it for the sake of it. And, um, and when I started consuming edibles, I realized it was an incredible way to consume cannabis as long as you got the dosing right. Yeah. Um, so I, I looked into starting a, an edibles company. I had two young kids, very young kids at the time, just like eight years ago, and I made a decision that was just too risky. Um, and uh, so I, I, I pulled back, and then I had a business deal that went uh, haywire, and I decided I needed a change. And um, and uh, there was a bit of a buzz happening here, and there was an expo they were going to do, and so I was like, hang on a second, I think this might be the industry for me. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, I dived right into it. Uh, I persuaded my wife to join me and uh, another friend of mine. And the three of us, we just literally went full time and we've been full time for three years now. So we, we, you know, we went through a few iterations. We were like, we start a grow store, then we started an app. And, and then I thought, well, I've been in education now for, for you know, eight, nine years. I, was a, I ran a creative media school here, built that out. I, I'm the founding member of a nonprofit called Bridges for Music, where we built a music and entrepreneurial school. So education had become part of my DNA through music. Um, and I was like, well, maybe that's actually the place to go. Mm -hmm. So we launched Africa's first uh, cannabis uh, and hemp uh, education company. Um, it took us about a year to get it off the ground. So we've been operational for two years now. And I came over to LA and to Spain and did a whole deep dive into the industry to really get a, to grips with things. And, and that was it. We started and it's been a, a whirlwind and a crazy adventure ever since. Wow, that's okay. I didn't realize you had had all this uh, education background uh, before. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you also have the Chiba Cannabis TV. Uh, so you're, you're, yeah, so we have an online platform, um, which is a YouTube channel. Um, it, I mean, we don't get the hugest views in South Africa. So, you know, we've probably got about over 100 videos on there now. Um, but the interesting thing is that one of those programs we do every week is called Canosphere Live. And we do it on YouTube Live and it got picked up by television. So it actually goes out, it gets rebroadcast three times on satellite television, um, on CTV for, via DSTV, which is the biggest satellite provider in Africa. So it goes across the whole continent. So we were the first people to get cannabis content onto, onto live TV, which is very exciting. And we call it like our edutainment platform. So we run a lot of webinars. We've run over 45 webinars in two years. Obviously, when COVID kicked in, um, you know, going online made a lot of sense. 
Um, but then what we did is we, we opened a physical campus in the middle of COVID. I come from a contact learning background. And while I do see great value in online learning, um, I, you, you can never replace contact learning with online learning. So, uh, you know, we have blended options, et cetera, but we, we opened a campus and um, there's a bit of a baptism of fire, you know, all our students going into class with masks on and COVID tests and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, we, we launched it that, that uh, two years ago, and I think we're now into our fifth or sixth cohort in the one particular course we have. But there's no one really, in you know, apart from Oaksterdam, I'm not aware of anybody really doing this physically, you know, like a full-on academy, you know. So uh, I, think, I think we're probably, apart from Oaksterdam, the first in the world, you know. And, and we, are, we are also teaching things over and above cannabis. So we teach uh, indigenous knowledge medicine, other medicines that come from South Africa, we teach permaculture, futurism, mindfulness. Um, you know, we do every morning our students meditate. So it's a very holistic approach to cannabis. We're taking the essence of cannabis and what it is, and we're trying to make education holistic. You know, so that we cut that across through through all of our courses. At the end of the day, you know, cannabis has the potential to to have a seismic impact on on our economies, but also on on the way we behave psychologically. Um, you know, I, I, I always say, and I hate putting alcohol and cannabis into the same conversation because they are completely different uh, um, uh, subjects. But, you know, I always say, I often say, if you, if you were to remove alcohol from the world and replace it with cannabis, I really, really believe the world would be a much better place, you know. No kidding. I and, and, yeah, and, that, and that's not even getting into the conversation around hemp, you know, which is a completely different conversation. And, and, and the, the ability or the opportunity for hemp to really help us move towards sustainability you know, and also tie into the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, oh, yeah. which by 2030 are, are imperative. So hemp has become a big part of what we do as well. You know, we teach people about the hemp industry, how to make hempcrete and sort of low tech um, uh, products. Uh, so that's something we've started pushing quite hard. Um, and then, you know, we were in the registration pro process to register ourselves as a higher education institution. That takes about two years here, so we're at the final stages of that. We'll be able to offer, you know, one-year programs, longer, longer programs. Um, so we've got short courses, twelve-week full-time courses, you know, a whole suite of stuff. Um, and we're continually de developing and building our IP, and also just giving an African flavor to it, because you know the only education globally at the moment comes out of the states. And while it is, you know, a lot of it is really high-grade and cutting-edge, and um, it's still very American-centric, and every environment cannabis wise is so different you know from growing conditions to the culture to the legislation so we we, we are very hopeful that uh, south africa can be at the forefront of also exporting you know global cannabis and hemp education yeah i just think about where the school can just go uh meaning what about like you know biochemistry and research and completely yeah formulations and bringing terpenes in and, and targeting specific ailments based on all the different you know ratios of cannabinoids yeah. and terpenes and all that and then my, my new favorite thing that i've been looking at is like infused foods and drinks you know that's a yeah. whole different uh you know uh formulation yeah. and stuff like completely. that yeah. yeah, so there's there's so yeah. many great things that your program's just going to blossom into. It's going to be humongous. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've got a beautiful deal with um, a company based in Washington State, actually, called Medical Marijuana 411. So they're kind of the global leader uh, coming out of the States that have um, um, medical cannabis content. Uh, they have offices in Japan, Europe, and South America. 
they're online, they focus on medical, they're accredited in seven different states. So we, we have the license for, for their content for Africa, because obviously, you know, in America, you've been, guys have been at it a lot longer. So the research and development uh, is a lot further down the line. So we take those courses and we remove the American history and prohibition and Africanize it with our own. Um, but the medical content is actually licensed in the, from, from the States. Um, so we're very proud of that relationship and very proud of the content that comes out of, uh, out of our relationship with them. Yeah, and they're, and they're, I, th I think they're the most highly accredited, uh, I, I stand to be corrected, but cannabis educator in America, because obviously everything has to be done regionally. Or, so they, they have, I think it's about seven different states, they actually have accreditation, which is no mean feat, you know, so the content is very solid. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so, so talking about like what Shiva can become. So what is your ultimate vision in the end? Like, where do you want to be 10 years down the road? So, so we, we have very ambitious plans to, to expand out of South Africa. We already have a deal in place with a Kenyan company. We have several conversations going on in Europe. Our aim is to create a, a sort of um, a quadrant, you know, between Europe and, uh, and, and South Africa to start with, um, where, you know, you go and study uh, a course in Spain, and then you come and do an internship on a Kenyan farm or a South African farm and vice versa. Uh, and then, and then we have a, a long-term vision to to eventually open in somewhere like LA, where we want to bring in um, an African-style cannabis education, um, but also bring in other indigenous uh, plant medicine from this continent, um, which we feel is just a, a completely untapped uh, market at the moment. You know, at the end of the day, cannabis is the tip of the iceberg. And I really, really am a strong believer in plant natural medicine, um, and I think that uh, we need to push hard. To bring as much as we can to the four fours as fast as possible and we have a legacy here with with palm medicine you know we have um, a lot of what are called traditional healers um, uh, otherwise sangormas uh, and they are healers that work with plant medicine that have been for decades so we need to to capture what they've been using and to to do research and essentially export plants that are grown indigenous to our country um, you know and, and and take that medicine to the world because i think the world is is crying for, for medicine that is non-addictive and non-toxic. And we all know where we're at at the moment in terms of opioids, et cetera. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of our, that's kind of our blue sky, you know? Oh, become yeah. a multinational education company. And also bringing in other content and so expanding. I mean, you know, we are purpose-driven entrepreneurs. Um, we can't sell ice to Eskimos. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we really believe, you know, I often say to, 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 my, to my team that, uh, you know, um, we, we might be a cannabis company and an education company, but we're actually a change company. And we are trying to create positive change and, and cannabis and education are our tools. You know, um, the world is in a, a complete mess at the moment and it needs collaboration, it needs partnership um, and it needs uh, proactivity, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, no, and, and complacency just cannot exist in the world we live in. So every morning we wake up and we know that we're doing whatever we can to change the world and we're trying to teach students to to wake up and do the same thing. Yeah, I know that it's very exciting to think about what it could be. Um, so are, I know that you're, the school is very new, but are, are you getting any um, students from outside the country at all? I, um, I we, we, ha we, ha we, yeah, we have had um, a Kenyan and Zimbabwean student on our full-time course. Um, and then we've had, yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, online courses, we've had students from New York, from yeah. Berlin, from Nigeria, and, and it's expanding. You know, our online courses obviously we can it can be anywhere, so it is starting to expand as as we as we grow. You know, 
And are those people coming mostly for the cultivation aspect of the of the business? No, um, it's it's a combination. I, I think I think the cannabis industry is completely obsessed with cultivation. You know, um, and and it, and it's that's just one part of the industry. You know, I, I, coming from the music industry, I always say, you know, people who want to be in the music industry, the first thing they want to do is be on stage. But the reality is that one in a hundred people from the music industry should be on stage and the other should be backstage and doing the rest of the stuff. It's exactly the same with, with cannabis. We get, we get growers who come into our courses who, who want to be growers and, you know, master growers and head growers. And, and within three months of the course, they turn around and go, I've actually realized I don't, I don't want to grow commercially because growing commercially is not as sexy as it might seem. You know, you spend 60 to 80 percent of your time behind a desk doing compliance if you're growing for medical uh, facilities um you know whereas a lot of people want to grow it as a, a more boutique and as an art form um you know connoisseur cannabis and i think there's there's definitely room for that as well um so so it's a, it's a combination you know um i'm also not a big fan i mean we do we do do online courses where you can where you can learn how to grow cannabis and there's videos and tutorials and um, but, you know, if you're teaching hands-on stuff, it's often good to join a course. I mean, we have a, an indoor grow facility on our campus and then a partner farm called the Jazz Farm run by a nonprofit called Fields of Green for All who have been championing cannabis uh, legislation and uh, legalization for like 12 years now. Um, that's about 20 minutes from our campus. Uh, so our students really get hands-on with plants. They're in, in, a, in a small um, quasi-GMP facility and then they get to work in tunnels and outdoors. Um, so cultivation is, is still a big part of it, but surprisingly, we, we, we have a big focus on the business of cannabis. For the, for the industry to, to really grow, it needs to industrialize. We need marketeers, we need lawyers, we need distributors, we need security, we need packaging. Um, you know, the growing is the obvious thing, but there is not a room for everybody, there isn't room for everybody to be a grower. So it's a, it's, it's a hybrid, you know. And the one, the one area of the industry which has been disappointingly slow is actually the medical industry. So we've had a very slow uptake on our medical courses. So we, what we do is we package those courses with other courses and bundle them, which is very popular. But as a standalone, it's very hard to get doctors to break out of this, uh, this in years and years of indoctrination they've had and, and get them to study cannabis. I mean, the endocannabinoid system is still not taught in medical school. And I think, you know, if you go to medical school, you'll do like a, one lecture on cannabis. So we're dealing with decades and decades of, of lies and indoctrination. So... The medical cannabis industry have also, in their defense, been focused on COVID. So that has been quite slow and disappointingly so, because I don't think there's a doctor in the world these days that doesn't have a patient that asks them about cannabis. But the doctors are just so sluggish, you know. Well, I think a lot, I've, I've interviewed a couple of doctors who are strictly have gone back, you know, gone over to cannabis, very well respected, Harvard educated doctors that, you know, there's a few of them that have just are really taking up the torch and trying to teach other doctors. But I think one of the problems they're all saying is, you know, like everybody else, you're so busy in your careers and you know what you're doing to take and focus. I know when I first had to focus on what's the endocannabinoid system and understand the science behind that, I had to hunker down and really yeah. dive yeah. into it. So, you know, I don't know where to break that, but yeah, we, we, we need, desperately that's a whole nother area that we need doctors and so so basically your school what you're saying is you're just covering everything from the marketing the legal the yeah yeah i mean i i i have a fairly strong background in marketing you know up to running marketing agencies and you know i'd always be very particular with clients about having a target market and lms and etc and this is the first time in my career 
where people ask me who our target market is and I say everyone. And I would normally have shot a client down and said the same thing. But I'm like, well, in, in our classes, we have 18-year-olds and 55-year-olds. We have every single race, every single religion, male, female. You know, we have people from completely different backgrounds. It is the most crazy, crazy thing I've ever experienced. But I, but I, but I also can tell you now that in 10 years' time, and hopefully not that long, but at the max, 10 years' time, none of us will know anybody that doesn't use cannabis in some way. And I'm talking about not necessarily recreational, medicinally, hemp powder, oh. you know, the car you drive, the BMW you drive, the dashboards, hemp, whatever it is, hemp or, or cannabis as a whole is going to be part of every single human being's life on this planet. Um, you know, and, and, and obviously on a, on a large scale from a, a sort of human consumption perspective, you know. So yeah. it, it is really something for everybody, you know, uh, especially, um, you know, people who have medical issues and that's, spans across a whole wide spectrum um you know the health industry i mean it just it just goes on and on and on this is this is the in my opinion the most disruptive industry that has happened since since the computer and the internet you know yeah. um and we are just scratching the surface at the moment i think it's going to completely completely revolutionize the way we live yep i do too so um i'd like to kind of wind down the conversation and go to uh the european markets because i know that you've been speaking at a couple different events uh, conferences, cannabis conferences in Europe, and that you were recently at the ICBC event. And I, I actually grabbed a couple of the talking points because I thought they were so good and thought you could just uh, touch base on uh, the talking points sure. on the topic that you were talking about at the at the event or moderating at the event. And um, I thought this was so interesting. I wouldn't have even thought of. Well, first, the first question is, which of the markets in Europe do you think are really on the rise and that we should all be looking at? And also, um, this is what I thought was so interesting, which markets are relevant as sales markets for which products or services and which ones for production? So I guess, is it Portugal? Sure, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a European uh, expert, but I obviously have some insight and some lens. I mean, in terms of the countries that we will be the country we need to watch, it's Germany without a shadow of a doubt. I believe there are two tipping points to this industry and two, two um, seismic events that will happen to move it forward. Firstly is federal legalization in the States, and the second is uh, Germany um, bringing recreational online. Um, you know, it's the biggest market in Europe, 85 million people, especially on a, on, on a medicinal side, there are a, a big aging population, a lot of opioid use, um, you know, and uh, they, you know, they, they can, I spoke to a few Germans in, in the industry, who said that uh, even if the whole of Europe was to grow cannabis, um, they, they couldn't grow enough to provide uh, cannabis for the German market. That was, that was an opinion. Um, wow. But the reality is they need seismic quantities of product. Um, the good thing for us is we already have very strong ties with Germany from South Africa. We have a, a lot of um, movement between the two countries. You know, we have German schools here, large German populations, expat populations. Um, so they're, and, you know, we're already exporting a lot of like wine and fruit and veg and so the, those pipelines are definitely open, um, you know, and when we can grow at a, at, a, at, a, at a fraction of the cost if we're growing sort of outdoor and hybrid tunnels. So there's a real opportunity for us as South Africans in the German market. Um, and I think for countries like Portugal and Spain, I mean, Portugal is definitely as a cultivator coming online. Although ironically, a lot of the farms I see in Portugal at the moment are actually indoor. Um, I don't really understand. There was a, a, th a post online the other day about um, how indoor was the only way to grow, et cetera, et cetera. And, 
which I disagreed with because we've seen incredible results from outdoor cannabis in, in, our, in our climate. Um, you know, we have um, very, very powerful UV rays, which help, help the, the, the THC levels grow and flourish. And um, so, so we have, that's a benefit. And you probably don't have that same amount of um, a propensity for power from the sun in, in Europe. But you could still go outdoors there. Obviously, it's a, it's a seasonal there as well. The winter is longer, etc. Uh, Spain have been growing cannabis for many years, as, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, they still don't have a, a proper legal framework, although medicinal cannabis is coming online there. Um, you know, so I think I think you know growing cannabis in places like Germany and the UK, um, which has to be indoor, uh, I think will have a a short-lived uh, cycle um, because they will not be able to compete on price at some point. You know, because because we can just grow cheaper. Um, so I think there'll be a, a, a niche market for it, but I, I think that ultimately the German market is certainly looking to other territories to provide them with cannabis. From a South African perspective, we just need to get ourselves together and make sure we're delivering consistent quality product every single time, because that is a problem we have had. We have had one or two companies here shipping out substandard product, which gives us a bad name. Everyone's trying to find their feet and you know figure things out and. But essentially, that, that is the most exciting market for me, I think, is the German market at the moment. I think once the German market um, comes on recreationally, I think the whole of Europe will follow rapidly. Mm. And how do you think, well, I'm just thinking someone from the United States, you know, because I feel like people here are, are starting to look at, okay, where's our global presence? Like, how do we start taking our products that we've already, you know, selling in five different states here? How do we get online in Europe and where else? So going to like the different cultures, like, you know, the Germany, Portugal, whatever, do you, what, what kind of barriers, or do you think there's any barriers that we would have? I, I mean, there, 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 are cert, there are certainly international trade barriers with exporting, you know, finished product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, if you look at the Canadians, you know, they were open for business for, for a while, and then they just closed shop. You know, you can't, import, you can't export anything into Canada, uh, even though a lot, a lot of our earlier licenses here were based on, on Canadian uh, um, offtakes um, because they've got an oversaturated market where they're sitting on product they can't get rid of. You know, I think the same will happen in every territory. I mean, ultimately, you know, people are going, there's going to be a level of protectionism at some point, um, yeah. which has its pros and cons. Um, you know, as a country that needs to export, we certainly don't support that. But somewhere like Germany can't grow outdoors, so it needs to import, you know. I, well, there's a lot of talk about Africa becoming the breadbasket of cannabis into Europe, and, and which it already is to a large degree, and, and South America um, being the breadbasket into North America, which it already is to some degree. Obviously, in places like California, you can grow, you can grow a lot cheaper um, because of your, your climate, so you have, you have a slightly different landscape there. Um, I think it'll be like anything, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to your brand. So I think that people have underestimated the power of building brands. I remember when we first used to go and visit the Sarpa farms here, they wouldn't let us take photos, they wouldn't let us put stuff on social media, they wouldn't let us do videos. Now they're like, please come, we, we, need, we need the publicity and exposure. Um, so if you have a farm, there'll be a, there'll, there'll be a degree of people that can sell biomass and white label it to, to other parties. But I think you're going to have to start building brands to really be successful. And obviously the Americans are, you know, you guys are, are, are some of the best in the world at building brands. Um, but I think, I think what will happen is, I think there will be a, a desire to, for each market to build out its own brands and identity. You know? um, yeah. I think that one of the advantages I've heard uh, in the States, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, to, to the lack of federal legalization, 
is the fact that what that's allowed to do is it's allowed a lot of small boutique companies to grow, especially in the California area. So if the likes of Unilever and these big multinationals had been given access years ago, they'd have probably sw swallowed or stamped everybody out where because they weren't allowed to do that, they, they looked at the opportunity and thought it was too small. So a lot of boutique um, and, and smaller brands have allowed to, to build and grow because of that. So I think that's a positive thing um, from what I've, what I've read and been told. Um, and, and I think there will be a certain amount of that happening in, in Europe. Um, at some point, I think it will become a free market. I mean, it's like any commodity, you know, uh, within a regulatory framework, you'll be able to export all over the world. You know, we certainly hope there'll be a, there'll be a time and a place where you can walk into a, a um, you know, a MedMen or whatever it is in, in the States and, and there's a section with African cannabis, African yeah. flowers. Um, there's no reason why we shouldn't have that, you know. There's no reason why you should be, you know, consuming Durban poison that's grown in an indoor uh, um, uh, facility in Amsterdam where you can be, you know, consuming stuff that's actually being grown authentically um, in, 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 the, in the host country. And, and I, I'm a big believer in Appalachian, you know, the same way they've, um, the, the, the French did it with Champagne. You know, we should be able to oh, regionalize. Yes, yes. You know, you know, I, you know if I walk into a dispensary here, I would love the opportunity to smoke something that came from Humboldt or that came from Hawaii or, you know, and, and, and you have to tick certain boxes to be able to claim that. So I think that will be quite an exciting uh, thing in the future. Yeah, I know. That's, I think that's going to be really exciting too. Um, so I guess just uh, closing out, if you had to think of, you know, what else might come out of South Africa uh, besides uh, we, biomass. We're a very innovative people. Yeah, we're, we're a very innovative people, um, you know, partially because of necessity, you know, um, and we're quite a dynamic group of people. And so we make a plan, you know, we're survivors. So um, there's some really amazing innovation that comes out of South Africa, you know, and I think that I think we will create some very powerful brands and very unique brands um, and uh, and we'll export. I mean, we are we do have a few companies, you know, in the CBD space that have moved into the UK already um, and, and, and people that are exporting. I mean, I would like to see us uh, as an export market for, for final product as well. Otherwise, it's the same sort of developing, developed country where, you know, we export at a cheap price and it gets processed internationally and then the markup is high. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a typical thing that we've, we've gone through, you know, through colonization for decades. So I really would like to see a nice healthy export market for locally made products that have an African authenticity and story. You know, you've got, you, you're not going to walk into a store and buy something just because it's, you know, has a South African label on it, but if it has a story and it has a unique brand and you want to try something and you know, we, we can capitalize on, on the name that we have. So I think there's huge potential for that, you know, in, in the future. That'll be very exciting to get our hands on. <laughs> we'll hap we'll happily send you guys cannabis and import some dollars. <laughs> and I actually I do just have one more question. How about extraction in your, in South Africa? Like that's yeah. such a big thing here. You know, we're we're constantly iterating on and and trying new. You know, like solventless uh, extraction seems to be the big thing right now. You know, yeah. so just curious what's happening here. Um, it's very un underdeveloped at the moment. You know, we have, I think, to my knowledge, we have two licensed labs at the moment who can do extraction. You know, you have to have a license once again. So, um, you know, there are people rosin pressing at home and doing basic ethanol extraction at home, but um, it's not, not on a mass scale by any means. Also, setting up a proper extraction facility is, takes a lot of capital. And at the moment, 
you know, we the, the capital move into the into the South African cannabis industry has been extremely slow. You know, we've had um, quite a lot of funding going into Sapra Farms. We've got 70 licenses out there now, although I, I think 10 around 10 are probably active. Um, so, so that's what it comes down to. It's not that we don't want to do it. It's just we haven't got there yet. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so nice to meet you. And um... thank you so much for your interest in time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.